Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into true crime cases through the lens of a trained investigator and former prosecutor turned judge. If you are sensitive to expletives, anatomical descriptions, and accurate descriptions of true crime scenes, this podcast may not be suitable for you. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Megan. And Megan, let's shake our good luck charms. Got okay. Let's kick off this episode. This um, episode is about a really creepy dude named Daniel LaPlante. Okay. Yeah. He does some real messed up things, which is obviously why we have him on the podcast. Oh, here. yeah. We don't usually cover normal people. No, not, <laughs> not at even all. ourselves. Not at all. And, uh, I, I think I'm going to title this episode The Gustafson Family Murders because he does there. I'm going to tell you about his his kind of terrorizing ways before he turns into a murderer. Um, but there there is a tragic murder here. So he leads up to it. He does. And I just I you know, I won't title it about him, but just to start off here a little bit about him. Daniel was born on May 16th, 1970 in Townsend, Massachusetts. He lived with his mother and his stepfather, Elaine and David Moore, and he had two brothers, Stephen and Matthew, and they lived in Townsend when he was a teenager. It's well documented that during his, that he did have a, a traumatic childhood, but I don't know about his early childhood. Um, it really just seemed to be from encroaching on those early teen years and beyond of where the the plethora of information could be gathered. But he was said to have had a pretty traumatic childhood, which um, included physical abuse, psychological abuse, and sexual abuse by his both his father and his stepfather. Okay. So biological father is not in the picture because he's living with steps at this uh-huh. point. But uh-huh. we also know that there's trauma that occurred with the new step. Yes. As well. Yes. Now, not surprisingly, he struggled academically at school, on top of which he, he also had dyslexia. Right. You and I know with the sexual abuse comes all of the other brain trauma. Yep. Yep. So, including cognitive things that may <clears throat> not have presented themselves before, like ADHD and dyslexia and yep. oppositional defiance disorder and all those things. Exactly. We're not doctors. We just play them on TV. Yes. We just play them on a podcast. Correct. <laughs> uh, but. Truly, we work in this field, and so these are things that we see repeatedly. Often. Uh, On top of all of this, he had, you know, he was very isolated socially, which coincides to all of this as well, and that his parents just didn't um, take an active part in making sure that he was socialized with other children. I would imagine that a, a lot of people like to keep their children isolated when they're doing things to them that they don't want them to tell others. Correct. It's hard to explain the the bruises mm-hmm. and any potential other physical characteristics. And anything that he may say or play, play pretend with that yeah. he shouldn't have any information about, right? Right. So because of this, other children really found him to be very creepy and weird. No, shocking. Yeah. So he's a social misfit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is all leading into a certain direction. The recipe, child sexual abuse at an early age without somebody to come in and do some help. Not that some of you are out there haven't just done great with yourselves, mm-hmm. but it's a recipe for a sociopath. It is. It absolutely is. And 
On top of all of this, he didn't have good hygiene because he was neglected. You know, so as we're encroaching on early teen years, he was the smelly kid. He was. Boys start to smell. They have they, to be smell like onions. So much so, so much like onions, and they just have to be taught those cleaning behaviors. But as we often see with sexual abuse survivors, is they don't enjoy exposing themselves to get into the bath or the shower. Right? There's a lot of control. Issues yeah. that come with it as well. This is the one thing that they control, can control, is you know not um, cleaning themselves. They often feel that if they are smelly, their perpetrator will leave them alone. Absolutely. Safety mechanism. Yep. So, Animals in the wild develop weird smells and poisons and scents for their predators. Yes, this is, this this is, is coping. Same. It sure is. So here he is. He's in dirty clothes. He's, he doesn't smell good. The kids already think he's creepy and weird. So, yes, his classmates avoided him. During his early teens, he did see a psychiatrist at the recommendation of school officials and was diagnosed with hyperactivity disorder, as you touched on earlier, not surprisingly. And instead of treating Daniel, the psychiatrist actually began sexually abusing him. Oh, my God. Like, how does that just keep happening well, first to of one all, person? That psychiatrist, that person deserves to be strung up mm -hmm. by any appendage you would like to choose and left covered in honey and left for ants. There you go. Because yes, you're supposed to be helping and protecting this child. And you know that that you, means Daniel's not their no, only victim. He had, a, he had a perfect victim set up. Yes. All these kids he could sexually abuse because they already had been sexually abused. He can manipulate them. Yep. What a dick. Yep. Horrible. And just to remind you guys, this would have been mid-1980s, early 1980s. Yeah. This isn't anything recent, but still... And I feel like that was the advent of us finding out things like well, dentists taking advantage of women while they were under yes. gas that and doctors or men. can be shitty people too. Yeah. Yeah. Doctors exactly. can, law enforcement can, lawyers can, yes. we all can. Social workers can. Hundred percent. Anyone. If you're human, you have the potential to be horrible. Right. And a percentage of each occupation is gonna be. It, it, yes, absolutely. Well, and quite frankly, all humans at some point in time are horrible like you oh, we do we say mean things sure. we do mean things yeah even I've if we're there. really really good people yeah. there are like human wow times. did I say that that was super passive aggressive right, or, or petty judgy or, or ju mm -hmm. yeah absolutely but sometimes I even regret it yeah every once in a while <laughs> no <laughs> so I guess what I'm all this to say uh his his time with his psychiatrist left him worse than helped obviously right yes so it's around this same time that he was seeing this psychiatrist and continuing to be a, a victim of sexual abuse that Daniel really started his criminal career. So he didn't hang out with friends. He didn't play sports. He didn't do his homework. Instead, he enjoyed breaking into people's homes. Um, to steal stuff? No, not just to steal stuff. Oh, no. A lot of it, it and yes, he did take things. But really the thrill for him was knowing that he was in somebody else's home without their knowledge. And he liked to root around and move objects and furniture to mess with them. Like he was a ghost? Yes. And terrorizing them psychologically? Yes. Which it all comes full circle, doesn't it? That's yes. a terror. That is one of my biggest fears is that I'm being watched in my house, mm -hmm. like I agree. under the bed, is, in the mm -hmm. closet. 
Yep. I, uh, I, I do kind of think that this episode's going to freak some people out because he would do things like leave half drunk beverages laying around. And I can't tell you how many times I have come downstairs, looked at a half drunk bottle of water on the counter and thought, did I put that there? Was that me? Actually, a joke that Matt has with me is that any bottle of water must be mine because I leave them everywhere, everywhere. And now I'm like, but is it me? But am I, I leaving it? I don't everywhere? remember doing exactly. That. I don't remember going and getting that out of the garage fridge. I don't remember drinking it. I'm pretty parched, so I feel like I couldn't have drank that. Yeah, it's it is kind of creepy. And they would just he would just leave items sitting around. He you know just like moving would he stay them. to watch the reaction? Well, we will get to that. Okay. He, he, uh, the big thing for him is he really enjoyed knowing that he was scaring people and that he was making them feel like they were losing their mind. I'm, ass- I'm assuming this is just my assumption, probably much like how he felt on yeah. the inside. Yeah, you know, that makes sense. Making other people, projecting our feelings, making them feel the way that we do. So let's talk about the Andrews family of 1986. Oh, let's. Brian Andrews lived in the nearby, nearby town of uh, Pepperell, Massachusetts, with his two daughters. He had a 15-year-old daughter named Annie and an 8-year-old daughter named Jessica. They were going through a difficult time in 1986 um, with the loss of the girl's mother and, and Brian's wife to cancer. Okay. So we have a, an 8-year-old and a 15-year-old just I'm trying just to muddle angry. through. just already Mm-hmm. Traumatized little girls who just lost their mommy, a recent widow widower yes exactly he was being thrust into single parenthood he had to of course work more jobs meaning he wasn't home as much with the girls annie being 15 was kind of thrust into this caretaking role of jessica and you know making sure that they they all kind of stepped up to the plate to take care of one another right she just accidentally became a pseudo parent as a lot of older siblings do yes and not no shame on you parents who have to do that i've been there as well yeah yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You have a large age gap between I do, your adopted I daughter do, and, and was in a whole different point in my career and my husband's career when we adopted Anne-Marie. So yeah, my 13 year old at the time was basically Miss Second Mom. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. still is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I totally understand. And this did make the girl, the girls were very close. Annie and Jessica were said to be very close, of course. Um, at 15, you know, Annie is kind of starting to think about boys and dating and talking um, on the phone with boys and all of those things. So when she begins receiving phone calls at her home from a boy, of course she was a bit intrigued. Ooh, a mystery man. Yes, the boy. Because in the 80s, we didn't get, there'd be like some cute boy. Hi, my name's Tim. You don't know me from school? Yeah. It's 1986. It's 1986. They're on a cord phone in their kitchen. Of course they are. Laying on the floor with your feet up against the wall, Mm -hmm. holding the cord Mm -hmm. of phone. Twingling, uh, twingling. Uh, Turning the dial, the rotary dial phone, which if we gave our kids now, they'd stare at and not be able to figure out. And I always got my finger caught in the cord of the phone. I would twirl it around my finger as I'm talking. Sometimes rip the jack right out of the ear. Sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. Well, she was told that this boy that was calling her, his name was Danny. And he claimed that he got her number from a mutual friend who attended high school with her. This was a lie. Of course. But it's a very believable lie. So, and how is she going to prove otherwise, right? So, she um, 
was like, oh, okay, so you saw me. You're in, you're oh. interested. Tell me more. I'm just smiling because it's just so wholesome. Wholesome. But really what we think happened is that Danny had previously broke into the Andrews home and had done some digging around and saw pictures of Annie, found, you know, so obviously knows that she lives there, saw their family photos, became obsessed with her, and managed to locate the family's phone number through the rummaging of their of house. Course. Mm-hmm. So he stalked her, he did. broke into her house, was hiding, probably watching her. My tummy hurts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> On the phone, he described himself as tall. No. Blonde. <laughs> no. Athletic. No. no. And smart. Definitely not. <laughs> Smelly? Didn't mention the odor. Okay. No. Uh, I got to have a man that smells good. Sorry, Danny. It's a no for me. Yes, I agree. And it can't be Old Spice or Axe. Or Aquafresh. Oh, Aquafresh. Aqua yeah. Velva. Aquafresh is toothpaste. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I, I like love it that. when a man smothers himself in toothpaste. <laughs> Danny, smother yourself in that. Go lay in a I do help. appreciate a good fresh breath. So I do. I do as well. Now, Annie was a little bit skeptical, a skeptical, but she went with it. All right. Yeah. So for a week, they talked regularly on the phone. And honestly, Annie enjoyed talking with him. I know. And you fall so hard fast. I remember those days of hanging out with my boyfriend or some boy I was interested on the phone and like every, you look forward to longer and longer. You love them instantly. Yeah. You know. You're bonding over music. You're like, oh my God, I got to play this new Bon Jovi song for you. Yes. Life hasn't jaded you yet to warn you against relationships and how much humans suck. Or what happens when you actually meet. (laughs) Go on the actual date. You're like, well, this isn't as fun as I thought it was going to be. Well, and what's interesting to me is obviously Danny did have some charm about him and he could carry on a phone conversation with a girl without a problem. In person, he seemed creepy and weird, but over the phone, Annie was like digging this, you know, surprise me. Yep. So they made plans. Um, he was like, so I'd like to ask you out on a date. She's like, sure. And he said, I'll, I'll pick you up at your house and we'll go to the fair. Oh. Even more freaking wholesome. That's us. That's like something That's that happens our in our town. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I'm going to go play the balloon dart game and win you a stuffy. Yep. Yep. When the day arrived, Annie was excited. The doorbell rang. She rushed to answer. Is Annie there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, she was a little taken aback because the boy who stood on the bo- doorstep was not at all the way he had described himself on the phone. He was literally none of the things. None of the things. None of the things. He was about 5'8". He was very thin. He had greasy dark hair and heavy untamed eyebrows. His skin was riddled with acne, but you know, he's a teenager too. So he did introduce himself as Danny. You can be clean and have acne too, by the way. Absolutely. Even the really bad stuff. But he let's just, he wasn't. No. He, there was no. no hygiene. There absolutely was not. Is a, is a very nice girl. So she... She's going to go. Yes, absolutely. I think I would too. Me too. I'm not a... I mean, most people might think I'm a bitch, and <laughs> I can be, but I'm not going to hurt somebody's feelings, even though they lied to me about how they look. Mm-hmm. I would have been that girl. I would have been like, me too. okay. And she did try to hide her dismay. Sure. She did. And I She I didn't, agree. though. I would have Can you done see her same. face right now and his reaction? And it probably hurt him even more, even though he was creepy about how he went about this. Well, I think that at that point, when you are now energetically next to each other, 
you pick up a hundred percent. We pick up each other's vibes. Word. I mean, you just, you do. That's if, why I if, love you. Exactly. You give me happy vibes. Yes. If people don't know, we all have an electromagnetic field. Yep. And when we are this sitting as close to each other as we are, our fields are talking to each other. They are. Charnel makes my anxiety level, which is always at a super high because that's how I run life for myself. It just comes down. I get more calm. So many people tell me that. And yeah, I you love, have a calming aura. I love that that is, is a truth about me. Because You're blue for me. I, I just, I love Blue's it. Blue's not even my favorite color, but it's calming. It's calming. Yes. Water, see? sky. Ah, I love that. But here's the thing with Annie. Her vibes with Dan, it wasn't even about the way he looked and how he misrepresented um, himself. Immediately, she picked up on his vibe that was not good. She did not like, like his cat vibe. sense evil. Yes. Dogs don't like certain people and mm. you should listen to them. Yep. Annie was like, um, I, d- I don't like this. I don't. Girls, like you got to always trust the gut, the sixth sense. Women have that. We know that. Mm-hmm. We can sense when things are going downhill in a relationship. We can sense something with our children and it bothers you and you don't know why, but it hurts in your gut. Yep. And teenage girls can't channel that yet. We should talk to all of our teenage girls we about should. this. Um, uh, yeah. If it, it makes your tummy hurt, if it feels wrong, even though you've done nothing wrong. Yep. Follow it. That's your intuition. It is. And we're given that on purpose. Our intuition is stronger than males because we are notoriously the ones caretaking for the children. The children who can't speak yet, right? So we have to intuitively be able to tell what our child needs. It's not a knack against men. It's no. just that ours is a bit stronger. I'm sorry. For that All reason. I can picture is like a you're watching the documentary on African lions and you got your big dumb male there and another male walks by and he's like, Hey, uh, Martha, it's Bob. And Martha's like, uh, No, Bob's not coming over here with the cubs. He'll eat them. And Bob's like, He's just stopping by for a beer. But he doesn't. Right. <laughs> and then there's a chase and there's a fight. Yep. yep. She's biting him in the tail later going, you can sleep on the other rock. Yeah. <laughs> I warned you. You can sleep on the other rock. No, it, it is very, very true that it, we females just do. in our solar plexus is actually where it's called that we feel that gut instinct. Yep. Right there. And it's just, she just pointed right to her solar plexus Well, because I wasn't 100% sure, even though I should, but so I just went to right where the gut feeling is. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's That's like your solar bit, plexus. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. Always listen to it. I recently, I write that to people when you're filling out cards and like, oh, give me one piece of, of advice. Always trust your gut. Always. Not your ego. Your head is your ego. Don't trust that. That'll lie to you. Always trust your gut. Word. So here, poor Annie is, she's like trying to make conversation, you guys. So she tells Danny about her family. Okay. About the recent death of death of her mother to cancer, and um, she noticed that at the mention of death, there seemed to be a bit of a switch that flickered in Danny. Oh, which way did it flicker? Well, his eyes suddenly lit up, and he became extremely excited about, about her mom's about death. her mom's death. So he starts bombarding her with questions about it, quizzing like. Like, were you there? Yes, just everything. How badly she had suffered from the illness. All of these questions, of course, made Annie extremely uncomfortable. Uh. He, She was with him for an hour, and she decided that, you know what, I I have spent enough time, I'm, I'm done talking about my dead mother, and answering polite. questions about her body and how bad she suffered and what she looked like and all of these things. And so... Um, she told him, I have to go home, and, and she made it very clear, 
that, you know, this was our only interaction. I don't call me anymore. We're not going to turn this into a second date. This didn't work out. Yep. You go your way. I'll go mine. So several days later is when shit starts to go down. and In the house? In the house. The Andrews sisters were hanging out at home when they got to talking about their mom. Oh, my God. He's going to pretend to be their mother's ghost, isn't he? I hate him. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. This is awful. Like, I legit want to cry. I feel so bad. Yes. Sorry if you guys just heard me readjust the microphone. It was um, it was not setting right. She's not as dainty as she looks sometimes. <gasps> I am I, sometimes I am a bull in a china shop, a hundred percent. So they what they were doing is these two beautiful girls, fifteen and eight, are just telling stories about their mom, oh. reminiscing about the good times that they had when their family was whole, and they got the idea because they're fifteen and eight. Ouija board. Yes, that they're going to do a seance. I was Is 15. this what you were going to do too? I was 15. I've, I was, been, I've been there. I was too scared at that age, but I'm really on my spiritual journey uh, accepting that this isn't we, a scary we, thing. We did See, the, we I did would the never do things. a Ouija board though. That, well, that sometimes it was because you wanted to be scared or scare yeah. somebody. You wanted to feel but that. But that's yeah. not what they were doing it for. Mm-mm. They were looking for some type no. of a connection, any connection. Yep. Um, and we're not going to be judgy what their religious persuasion, if any, was. Sure. They just wanted a connection. Absolutely. They just wanted to hear from their mama. That's right. They didn't really expect anything to happen, but they just wanted to try. So they go down to all of all the places in the house, Megan. They go to the basement. Well, that's where the spirits are. <laughs> I know. I've been down in my basement. I was convinced Freddy Krueger lived in there. It was just like the boiler room. They they did what they thought you're supposed to do. They lit candles. They held hands. They sang some songs. They're taking it, you know, they're, or excuse me, I'm trying to say they weren't taking it very seriously. They're just like bonding and trying to do this. Okay. Um, when their father, Brian, came home from work, they stopped. They were done. They uh, Yeah, dad it. probably wouldn't approve. Nope. They didn't want him to know what they were up to. And because they were actually afraid he would think they that they were going crazy. But I actually think that they would think, he would think they're kids. Right, you I know? think so too. So that night, Annie and Jessica are lying in their beds and they began hearing a rhythmic tapping sound on the walls. Nope. Now, this immediately, they think of that seance. Yep, what did we unleash? Mm-hmm. So they sit together in Annie's room, listening to the tapping, carrying on and carrying on. They were actually happy at first that their experiment had worked which they're braver than i am because if i heard a series of tapping over and over and over again i'm wet in the bed i'm like i unleash the gatekeeper from the ghostbusters i want it to go back yeah i where's bill murray where's bill murray when you need him right he at least lightens it up yeah so the excitement was short-lived because the tapping didn't stop and it only occurred when the girls were home alone or in the dead of night when their father was asleep. So this is going on for days. And it became so disruptive that the girls were losing sleep. I just can't imagine. And I was going to try to be creepy and just do a tapping sound on the table, but I don't want to freak people out. Oh, my God. Do we have that as a sound bite? We don't. We don't have tapping. We're going to record it later. We we can do this one, too. Yeah. (laughs) We'll we'll save that for Halloween time. Okay. I probably should have done this one around Halloween time. I mean, it is really creepy. It is. So then it's not long before objects and furniture began disappearing completely or being rearranged in the house. Okay. Furniture. Furniture. 
Yep. Like you walk in one day and your couch is in the wrong spot. Yes. Your whole living room is rearranged. Yeah. If I have a ghost, can I get one that's feng shui with that? Because I'm really bad at rearranging furniture. We really are on the same vibe because I was going to say the exact same thing. As long as it flows in the room, you have, you do you because yeah, I hate moving it's furniture. It's okay, ghost. Do whatever you want. Yeah. Just make it party. That's right. Then um, what would happen is like one of the girls would put food on the kitchen counter and then would go you know, to the bathroom or something like that. And when they came back, the food would be gone. Um, so finally, enough events had happened that they told their dad what was going on and that they believed they had a ghost in the house. Oh, dad, we think we unleashed a spirit. Mm-hmm. Now, dad, of course, was like, this is nonsense. You guys, that's not real. You're grief stricken over your mom. Yep, exactly. So one night when the girls were home alone, the tapping began again. And this time it sounded though as though it was coming from below them. No. In the basement. In the basement. Yes. No. Annie grabbed a kitchen knife and together the two crept down to the basement because they're so much braver than I. That's like a horror movie. Never go to it. Lock the basement door. Leave. That's what I would do. (laughs) And it's and trigger alert because it's just going to get scarier when you're picturing girls with a knife creeping down into a basement. And the eight year old's like behind her sister. I can see her like holding her back with one arm, butcher knife in the other. They get down to the bottom of the basement And on one of the walls is a message that looked like it was written in blood. Was it Spoiler alert, it was not blood. I actually believe it was ketchup. Oh. And it said, I'm in your room. Come and find me. Fuck you. No, exactly. (laughs) No, I'm going to go find my front lawn and my neighbors. I'm out the door. I'm the phone with the police or at the neighbors because, of course, we all had corded phones there. Then actually exactly what they do. They run out the front door and they go to the neighbors. Smart. Mm -hmm. Good girls. And they stay with them until their father returned home from work. Thank goodness. So did dad have a different opinion when he saw the ketchup message in the basement? Here's the thing. At first, he's like, he still thought that these were strange occurrences. He's like, I don't know what you guys are playing, but this is weird. The writing on the wall was ketchup. He was asking like, you guys... What have you been doing? He started to think that maybe this was them um, having like a cry out for attention. Like they they did it? Yes, because he hadn't been home a whole lot, right? He's working two jobs. He, um, they just lost their mom. So he's actually thinking uh, this is all a result of your grief. And he, instead of- I probably, I might too. I know. And, And he didn't want them to feel bad about themselves, but he did have them start seeing a therapist. Okay, probably a good call. I'd yeah. need a therapist anyway just from being terrified, but okay. So they they go to see a therapist. Now it's January 1987. Okay. okay. Is this still going on? Yes. It had been about two weeks since the basement incident when the knocking on the walls um, actually stopped. However, it did not stop for long because shortly after that, it went on for like two weeks after the basement incident, but it's only happening when it's only the girls home. The girls were home alone when the knocking starting started again, and this time it was coming from Annie's bedroom. From the wall in her bedroom? Uh-huh. So oh. once again, Annie picks oh. up a kitchen knife, and together the two girls make their way up the stairs. When they reached the doorway to Annie's bedroom, they saw another message written on the wall. And it said, I'm back. Find me if you can. 
Mm-mm. Oh, no. Outside again? Oh, yeah. They hurl themselves downstairs as fast as they can, go to the neighbor's home, shaking with fright, tell their neighbor that they had once again found writing on the wall in their house. Now, the neighbor is very, very sympathetic. The neighbor understands they've lost their mother. They are two young girls. They're home alone. So they stay, the neighbor, they stay at the neighbor's house, and they call their father. So on the phone, Annie and Jessica told Brian about how the tapping had begun and more writing had happened on the wall. Irritated this time, Brian comes home and he still believes that they're making the thing up. He's going to feel so terrible when he finds out. Oh yeah, I think think so too. When Brian arrived, he marched straight into the house and up the stairs and sure enough, there was writing on the wall. And there's... So there's, there is like a, a television um, dramatization of this, but. Well, I feel like if I didn't hear about this, maybe on either Netflix or some type of a short documentary, it the very least, this has got to be the basis for horror movies. Definitely. Like I, this story is just familiar. Well, Brian turns around and there's another message on the other wall in Annie's room that says, marry me. Oh, we have a romantic ghost. Yes. So then. So you know it's not your wife that correct. they're manifesting now. Correct. And that and, and honestly, it was that message that Brian's like, oh, this, the writing on the walls, this the knocking, the mysterious yeah. moving objects. They're not just products of his imagination. And they're not just missing their mom. If he no. thought that it was them. And this is creepy. This is probably the creepiest part of this entire thing. And this is where maybe it's a little dramatized. I'm not sure because I wasn't there. But the reports say that when he's looking at this marry me message and it's dawning on him that, okay, that my girls aren't manifest. They're not writing marry me, you right. know, on the wall. He turns and literally sees something out of the corner of his eye. <gasps> and he spun, spins around and sees a short scrawny boy standing in the hall. Really? Yeah. So the boy. Do you think he thought that it was one of the girls in the bedroom, and not dad? Possibly, like coming out to because. Let me tell you what he looked like. Okay. The boy's face was caked in makeup. (gasps) He was wearing a blonde wig, and a dress that belonged to Brian's deceased wife. And apparently, this is very psycho esque. It is, and apparently, he also had a hatchet in his hand. Yeah. Now this is where I said, I did, was this dramatized? Perhaps. Okay. I'm not sure, but it's still creepy as fuck. I I don't think that it would have been dramatized to that degree of whether he just saw the boy, or what. But like you said, did he think that it was the girls? I could see this guy if he's trying to make them think that it was their mother, right? Trying to dress up like their mother, and like their mom is coming to kill them because he's oh god. He's mentally ill, right? So, all right. There is some reports that Brian, you know, has some entanglement with this boy intruder with the hatchet. Like they get in a physical altercation? Yep. And that he gets away. Now, either way, the boy gets away. There's reports that he fainted, that Brian fainted. There's reports that he was knocked out with the blunt end of the hatchet. 
I'm not sure which way it went. You know, I like to give you all the details that I find. But so, Brian does know his daughters aren't making shit yes, up. Yes. The important thing here is that Brian has now realized that his daughters are not making things up. There is a cr- there is criminal activity There's happening been a in man their home. In their mm-hmm. house. Exactly. And so um, there is an alternate, like an another version that I found where he jumped out of the closet wearing um, Native American dress and holding a hatchet. Makes no sense. No, I, I'm, I'm more likely to believe the mother dress thing, just given his psychosis and what he's been trying to portray to these girls um, anyway. And s- some reports said that the girls were in the house when this happened and the boys and the boy chased them. But they barricaded themselves into a room and escaped through a window and called the police. So either way, we know that the boys discovered in the home and that there were some creepy factors about it. He's not dre- he doesn't just look like a boy, right? He he has oh he was playing a, a role. He was playing a role exactly. And the police are called and, and notified. So they do a thorough search through the Andrews home, and. There was a chest of drawers in Annie's bedroom, and um, in that chest of drawers, they found a small door, and when they opened it, they discovered a crawl space, and inside was the small, dark-haired boy who had had shown himself and kind of gotten into this scuffle with Brian Andrews. That was his hiding place. Okay. Of course, it was Daniel DePlante, um, and... They realize now, it, at this point, it was about two months before that Annie had went on this fair date mm-hmm. with him, okay? So um, there, they found a lot of items in the crawl space, mostly garbage, including a sleeping bag, beer cans, food wrappers, articles of, of clothing, clothing, a lot of which had belonged to the Andrews family that had suddenly disappeared. He's oh. just living there. It's like the people under the stairs. Yeah, yeah. He's living in and the And we're walls. not talking about the borrowers, those little people. No, <laughs> no, we aren't. The this crawl, is a horror movie. It is. The crawl space was connected to a passageway, which Daniel would have been able to crawl through and knock on the walls in different parts of the house. Um, I'm assuming that this is a very old house that kind of had probably maid's quarters in it. And, you know, certain parts had been blocked off, but other parts had still been. Um, and he's a small, he's yeah, a small he's a child. Skin, skinny, yeah. creepy guy. So he can get through small um, um, things. So it's obvious that he's been spying on this family for weeks at this point in time. Entertaining himself. Mm-hmm. Drinking a few beers, having a couple snacks. Oh, God. Writing on some walls with some ketchup. Stealing food and making jerk. them feel crazy. So Daniel LaPlante was removed from the Andrews family home and arrested. He was 16. At this time. Oh. Mm-hmm. So he was placed in a juvenile detention facility where he spent 10, 10 months from January to October in 1987. And he turned 17 um, May 1987. So he's 16 at the time that he was arrested in January. But while he's in juvie for 10 months, he turned, he turned 17. 17. In October 1987, he w- his case was transferred from juvenile court to adult c- court. Really? Yep. The fact that he was being charged an adult meant that he could co- post bail, which his mother actually did for him. Okay. So he was then free to leave the juvenile detention facility. Um, his stay at the juvenile detention facility did nothing to curb his uh, criminal appetite at all. In November, he broke into a neighbor's home, and this time he wasn't going to mess around playing mind games and whatnot. Instead, he entered the home and stole two handguns. Uh Mm Uh-oh. We've escalated. Yes. Yes, we have. 
he's still like waiting for trial or he's been convicted and he's just being supervised by adult probation yeah, now. They just transferred his case over to okay. adult. Yep. All right. So now we're going to move to the afternoon of December 1st, 1987 where Daniel LaPlante was armed with one of the stolen handguns. Okay. And he walks um, about a half a mile from his home to that of the Gustafson family. Now, the Gustafson family included 33-year-old Priscilla Gustafson, her husband, 34-year-old Andrew, again. Okay. Well, the last name of the other family was, was Andrews. Andrew. Mm-hmm. Andrew Gustafson and their two children, 7-year-old Abigail and 5-year-old William. So Priscilla was pregnant with the couple's third child. Priscilla was a uh, church nursery school teacher. She was said to be extremely sweet and caring, and she sang in her church choir and was dedicated to her Christian faith. I have a perfect picture of her Uh in my head. What Daniel does is he enters the Gustafson home, which had recently been decorated for Christmas, to find Priscilla and William. Now, Abigail took the bus back from school each day and walked the short distance from the bus stop um, home. Andrew, the father, was an attorney, and he was at work. Um, We don't really know how all of these events unfolded, but we do know that Daniel got into, um, got, sorry, I saw that starting to move. Was it the wind? The wind, yeah, and. Like, oops. You scared the shit out of me. <laughs> You're talking about people hiding in houses, your door slams. My that couldn't have been slammed. timed better. And you watched it all happen. I did. I'm so sorry. I should have warned you. That's the, fine. The windows I'm are open. Sure, I have a spare <laughs> pair of jeans in my car. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine, Charnel. Watching you jump a mile out of your chair, that was almost worth that. <laughs> you can kiss oh, it. Oh, God. <laughs> so... What we know, and this is a trigger alert because now we're talking murder, not just terrorizing people. Um, We know that Daniel got Priscilla into her bedroom. Oh, no. Where he did rape and beat her. (sighs) He's 17? Mm Mm-hmm. And she's pregnant? She's, yep, 33, pregnant. Okay. With their third child, yep. He then put a pillow over her head and shot her twice to muffle the sound. Okay. Through the pillow. God. Uh, And then... He then took little William into the bathtub upstairs and drowned him. Jesus. He's five? Yes. And when Abigail returned home from school, he also drowned her in the bathtub. He waited for her? He waited for her to get off the school bus. Oh, my God. Andrew is not home from work. Nope. No. No. So he drowned um, Abigail in the downstairs bathtub. When Andrew arrived from work that day around 5 p.m., he walks in and realizes immediately how quiet the house is. Mm-mm. He made his way up the stairs when he entered the bedroom that he shared with his wife. He found her um, face down on the bed with a pillow over her head. Um, uh, honestly, at this point, he's realizing he has no idea. Like, he can't hear the kids. He's he terrified knows. to keep searching through the house. He runs um, from the house, and he calls the police. He, he oh my God, not, he was a suspect. He couldn't face the trying to find his own children at this I, point. I know, but you know as well as I do that they're gonna. there's a gunshot, mm-hmm. pregnant wife. They're going to go right to him. However, he had an alibi. He of was course, at work. Of course. Yeah, yep. I'm and not saying they couldn't figure it out pretty no, quick, but, but you, you, know know. How, you know how that is. Absolutely, absolutely. Because when they arrive, they discover Abigail and William, oh. all right, in the separate bathrooms. They find the 22 caliber um, bullet casings. They find an 
open, untouched can of beer and semen stains on the bed. They also discovered shoe prints in the flower bed outside the home. At least he left some DNA. Yeah. So obviously the whole entire town is in upheaval about <sighs> who could do this. Now right. we have a manhunt on our hands. Um, they come up with a list of possible suspects. And even given his previous crimes against the Andrews family and the fact that Daniel had been released from the juvenile detention family, um, he did make the list. He did? He did, which surprised me because his crimes had not escalated to murder. No, but I too would include anybody who was breaking and entering or home invasions. True. In that. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily, I'm sure there were a ton of violent offenders on there as well, but definitely would have included the home invaders. And they did have some items taken from the home, a cable television box, cordless phone. Um, and so this, this really put Daniel, I think on their radar because he and the was beer. known. Yep. He'd leave cans of beer. Yep. He's known for robberies in the area. Um, and they discover he's only, he's less than a mile really? from this home is where he's living with his mom and his stepdad. Mm-hmm. So the following day, December 2nd, police questioned Daniel and they found him, um, finding him at the Townsend Public Library. He denies any involvement with the murders, telling the police that he'd been at home watching TV most of the day and then attended his six-year-old niece's birthday party. Um, other than their suspicions, they really didn't have enough evidence to link him to the murders at this point in time. Okay. So later that same day, the police went to the um, to Daniel's home to question him further, and as they approached the home, Daniel was sitting on the porch, turned and ran into the woods. So at this point, they're like, okay, kid, obviously you've got something to hide. Correct. And when they search the home, they find all of the pieces of evidence of, you know, the TV, all the things that were missing from the Gustafson home. You know, in some areas, jurisdictions, flight can be used as evidence of culpability. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you ran, the yep. fact that he ran. So they did search the wor the woods, all right, and that were sep actually separating the Gustafson home and Daniel's home. And they turn up a shirt belonging to Daniel and a wet pair of gloves, which they believed he was wearing when he drowned the kids. Correct. So they put out, you know, an all points bulletin and they're, they now know that who the man is that's responsible for this. And so they're able to put out his picture. Um, they get the state police involved. A helicopter is used, police dogs, nearly 50 local and state officers. And so there's the, the big manhunt knowing who they're searching for ensues. While on the run, Daniel was not really careful. 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 That's fine. <laughs> Make a new word. Yeah, careful about staying under the radar. Um, he actually abducted a woman at gunpoint. After? Uh-huh. While he's on the run. He's desperate now. So he with the other gun, because remember, he stole two guns right. um, in November. So he abducts a woman at gunpoint, making her drive him around town in her Volkswagen van. The woman did was able to escape and flee on foot. She called the police to report what happened, and he was, you know, and he's now driving around in her van. So now they know what he's driving. At this point, several other officers reported sightings. Uh, excuse me, several others had reported sightings of Daniel to the police. And thanks with to the public's help, police found Daniel around six thirty p.m. on December third. Okay. 
hiding in a dumpster at a labor yard in uh, Ayer, Massachusetts. That's an appropriate place for him. For sure. <laughs> Around, it was hey, about- Hey, look, a piece of garbage. In the garbage can. Mm-hmm. But it didn't have a trash compactor attached <laughs> to it. Did no, I say can that? Can we just pick it up and take it to the the truck? I mean, it'd and save a lot of time. You really would. Uh, so about, uh, this was Ayer, Massachusetts, about 11 miles northeast of Townsend. Not I mean, far. he really didn't get far. No. <clears throat> He's arrested without incident, um, incident. He was said to be laughing hysterically. Really? Which obviously bewildered the police, but it really doesn't surprise me, I guess. If you guys can hear the background noise, I have the windows open and my neighbor is riding around in their little um, toy That's what I'm hearing is like a little um, power wheel. Yes, it is a little power wheel vehicle, but they're just having the time of their life. So while searching um, his person, the police discovered that he had a gun stuffed in his underwear so they they found they find the stolen don't they guns. all yeah you know so he is charged with the murders of priscilla abigail and william and he actually received a range of other charges related kidnapping to yes he he did robbery he did get charged with kidnapping he did get charged with you know home invasion armed robbery fleeing murder all the things mm-hmm. murder mayhem and all the things that's right um, the gun that he used to shoot Priscilla was found in his stepfather's glove compartment, um, which was, it was actually a junk vehicle that just sat at their home, so it wasn't drivable, but he just took the gun and threw and it. And shoved it in there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was a junk Jeep Cherokee that sat in their yard. Um, and a ballistics expert was able to confirm that they matched the casings that were found in the Gustafson home. Yep. Yeah, sure thing. But ballistics... Um goes back through the 80s, even before then. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, trajectory, science, and things like that. Yep, there was a pair of Converse sneakers that matched the prints in the flower bed. How dare he use Chucks? Yep. How dare he use Chucks to commit a murder? And also dumb. Because they, I mean, can we, can, do people never learn to not use shoes with distinctive shoe patterns? Right, no. Like, you know a pair of Chuck Taylors when you see an imprint. I'm, like I'm Caterpillar boots. Sure. And yes. My, what are they, Jordans? Yep. And, yeah, I mean, come on, people. Not that we're telling you how to commit crimes here on Crime Curious, but that's certainly one thing you should I look know, into. I know. At least put those blue booties over your... I was just going to say the footies. <laughs> the footies. Put the footies on, you dumbass. No. All right. There was a sack with saliva on it. What? Um, Wait. What? Oh, oh, because yep. it was shoved in her mouth. It I'm was. so sorry. It was. I know that kind of caught you off guard a little bit. It and did. And you're like, wait, yeah. Well, I've been traumatized by sack conversations with you and I the know. Jasons in the West before. So <laughs> I was like, What? Is this a fetish? Yeah, it was. Um, <clears throat> yep, it had been used to gag Priscilla. There was a necktie, a sock, stockings, and pantyhose, which had all been fashioned into ligatures. All right. Uh huh. One of Danny's socks was found to have fibers, which matched fibers at the Gustafson home as well. Um, I, I know that they did also find a strand of hair belonging to Abigail on one of the socks as well. They found a cordless phone that had been stolen from the Gustafson's home. Um, A thumbprint, which belonged to Daniel, was identified on the phone. This is open and shut. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the evidence. All the evidence. Now, with the DNA, of course, being 1987, what they're able to find is that, you know, it's... They aren't going to do a... 
a, a 99.99 rule out? It was the lab analysis. What I found was lab analysis of Daniel's blood revealed that that he was a type A secretor. <laughs> <laughs> the same status as the semen stain found on Priscilla's bed. I'm sorry. I know. I'm I, an ass. I don't know. It's my new insult for somebody. You know you're what you are? You're a type A secretor. You're a type A secretor. <laughs> God dang it. Oh, and hell. so at the trial, um, the canine officer testified that his scent dog picked up a scent from an object in the Gustafsson home. Um, I believe it was the pillow. Yeah. And the dog followed the scent straight through the half mile of woods to Daniel's home. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at the trial, Daniel actually pled not guilty to all three murder trial murder charges. Typical. Mm-hmm. His trial began in October of 1988, by which time he was 18. He was ordered to undergo a psychiatric evaluation, and he was found fit to stand trial. Even though he was a minor at the time that the murders were committed, of course, they already ruled that he would be tried as an adult. Those are automatic waiver cases. That means that you don't even have to ask special permission from the judge to charge the child as an adult, the juvenile, because murder is one of the things that it is an automatic waiver. Yep. During the trial, the prosecution called as many as 50 witnesses. There would have to be with all the science. Many of which were Daniel's own family members. Oh, <laughs> wait. <laughs> Is this where we find out about his traumatic childhood? Yeah, this is, is that where the trial? The information comes from. Yeah, yeah. So it's as you said earlier, this is a pretty easy case for a prosecutor it's pretty open and close oh truly. as a former prosecutor that was the, like this is an open and shut this yeah, is a great this would case. be an amazing case to be it able would to be an easy case yep. to bring justice to a family yep. to to andrew who i'm still just feeling so like my gut my heart hurts for him and daniel didn't give his defense attorney any help at all because he came across as extremely unlikable He showed no remorse at all. He had a constant smirk on his face. He would laugh during the trial at times. The judge, jury, and the lawyers, including Daniel's own lawyer, got really bad vibes from him. Yeah. So um, they didn't have an easy time defending him. They did attempt to argue that the evidence found at Daniel's home was circumstantial and could not be linked to, uh, and, and could be linked to another member of the family. However, Daniel's brothers and stepfather all had alibis at the time of the murder. So, uh, uh. it's not a bad argument, Chanel. It's but not. What, They've got to try to argue well, something, right? Well, and here's right? the thing, though. And again, people forget. Like, literally a jury instruction. You may convict based off of circumstantial evidence. Mm-hmm. If there's enough to tie it, it's one of those things where you you put up put together a puzzle have you ever put together a puzzle oh yeah and it's missing pieces Mm -hmm. right maybe a couple here the horse is missing an eyeball there's a bush gone but you can still tell it's a picture of a horse in a field Mm -hmm. there's some holes poked in it but you can see the big picture the bigger picture yeah Yeah. oh i like how you described that tell me more megan well i may or may not have used it in a closing argument once during a jury trial it's a really good idea so here we are um his defense attorneys did try to get some leniency for him, speaking about his bad childhood and, and sexual abuse, the psychological abuse, you know, pulling at those heartstrings of like, okay, yes, he's a bad, bad guy, but this is maybe why. Um, it took the jury about five hours of deliberation, but of course they do find him guilty. 
And the judge actually sentenced him to three life sentences to be served consecutively. Ooh. And he is currently incarcerated at MCI Norfolk Prison in Norfolk, Massachusetts. Um, the family members of the Gustafson and the public were relieved by the sentence, being of the mindset that Daniel should never be allowed to walk the streets again. Um, obviously, it takes a really, really dangerous person to be able to murder a pregnant woman and two small children and feel nothing. Correct. And not only that, but it was of the public's opinion and the people in the courtroom that he found the entire thing very amusing. He was not, I mean, like you mentioned earlier, we have the makings from his early, from his childhood of a sociopath. Yeah. And I think that the way he handled the trial definitely he speaks didn't even, to that. He didn't try to not get caught. No. That's tr- so true. Like yeah. there's, there was no Which attempts at covering in sociopaths. Up. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not even saying this guy would have been a serial killer. I mean, he could have, I guess, if he wasn't caught because he had no remorse. He had no value for any type of human life. But he didn't try to hide anything. He tried to run. He did. Well, right. I mean, there is, there is that. I don't know. Um, I don't like, I don't like any of this. How is Andrew? What happened to Andrew well, afterward? His after his family was murdered. I I don't I don't have a lot of that on that okay. other than um, I do have some quotes. I believe. Sorry, I wrote these notes a long time ago, so okay. I do have some more here. Um, in 1993, he did appeal his conviction on the grounds that the search warrant of his home should not have been granted because it was the evidence found there that eventually proved his guilt and his appeal was denied. Right. So he was going for a suppression defense mm-hmm. that that evidence should have been suppressed. It was from the fruit of the poison tree. And if that wasn't in, there wouldn't have been a conviction. But on appeal, um, they not only will look at that, but the other evidence that was presented. And if they find it more likely than not, he would have been convicted anyway. It's always going to be a no. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, that must have been it because they denied it. Correct. Anyway. Rightfully, yep. in, in my opinion. So he was not an easy prisoner. In 2000, he requested to be moved for his safety af- after receiving threats from other prisoners. That, I just always love that. You took the lives of three people, but you think that the state should give a shit about your safety. Okay. Frankly, <sighs> I think they should have found somebody to be his roommate who would move things and write things on the yeah. wall. Marry me. Just Affirmation. Over over right. right. Nothing like your cellmate, your male cellmate writing marry, marry me, me on the wall in your ketchup mm-hmm. packet. I love that idea. Deserved. Deserved. Now, his request was actually granted, and he was then segregated from other inmates. However, he sued the Board of Prisons for not allowing him access to the library. Now, because he wasn't wasn't allowed access because he was being segregated for, you know, quote, his own safety. safety. Mm -hmm. So he received $450 for his rights to be denied. Okay. They they compensated him because he was denied access to the library. He was so give him an hour of library time privately. He also threw a big fit when um, they found porn, which is contraband. Right. All right. That someone had sent him in the mail and it was confiscated. He was pissed off that his porn was confiscated. Well, they do hate that. In 2013, he made claims that he was not being allowed to prep or properly exercise his faith. Oh, Okay. I don't know any religion, Megan, that allows you to murder children and pregnant women. Well, okay. I mean, we've had some pretty good cults on here that pervert yeah. religion to that. But, you know, Listen, but he never, a lot of people he never did say it was in sacrificial no, ritual. It wasn't. A lot of people find Jesus when they're locked up. You and you are captive at this point. 
Well, he's, and I'm I'm fine with it. But what what religion was he not being allowed to exercise? Do Wic- we know Wiccan? Okay. In, in order to worship, he was demand he demanded that he be brought various ritual oils that included dragon's blood, black opium, and honeysuckle. <sighs> And apparently it also required carrot cake. (laughs) Well, my religion requires carrot cake. I just had some for breakfast with my coffee. (laughs) Right. Um, uh, It wasn't my my, uh, religion that required that. It was my stomach and my soul. I think that you can practice um, uh, Wicca or any other um, spiritual thing within prison, but you... Aren't within, going to be, reason. but you're never going to be provided with things that could cause harm to other people, Correct. even if it does violate your religious beliefs. And that could be the same for some um, forms of Christianity or mm-hmm. Catholicism. I mean, sorry, they're just, they're not going to, they're not going to give you certain things. Like for example, are, are Catholics allowed to have um, their like rosaries and is there oh, a potential weapon no, there with right, a cross right. hanging from it? And right. I don't know. Not in a maximum security, I'm I, sure. I, I don't know. I, I right. have no idea, but I kind of call bullshit on it. And I'm assuming that they called bullshit too. Yes. Yeah. He was like, your rights aren't being violated. That's, that's why he was um, upset. He, why he filed another claim. Okay. Because he wasn't allowed to have his dragon's blood. Okay. Well, it is kind of hard to find dragons these days. I, you know, I know. I wanted to know exactly where you were going. Is this a metaphorical I dragon? Think it is. In which case, what is that coming from? A, like a kimono? Well, in Michigan, Dragon's Milk is a fantastically strong IPA from New Holland Brewery. Yes, so yeah, <laughs> all types true. of things. He just wanted beer. That's what he wanted is beer. Yeah, uh-huh. that's funny. Then, if I ever go to prison, I'm going to be like, listen, I'm a Christian, and if I don't have wine, Yep. For communion and like a whole bottle. <laughs> right. I need You're denying all of Jesus' me. blood. You're denying me. Yep. Right. Again, uh, people are going to pervert it. Mm-hmm. In 2017, he's now f- was, he was 46 at that time, and he um, appealed to have a reduced sentence after the Supreme Court ruled that juveniles cannot be sentenced to life in prison without parole. We've talked about that case before. Yep. He'd been in prison for 30 years and hoped that his sentence would be changed so, so that he could serve his life sentences concurrently rather than consecutively. Right. With the, the possibility of parole. Yes. This would have made him eligible for parole in 2017 rather than 2032 after serving three life sentences, which was 45 years in total. Um, so... The family of Priscilla Gustafson and the prosecution were firmly against Daniel's resentencing. Um, of course, they put out that all of this in 2017 was re- reliving their murders all over again. Always is when you have to go to the parole board. It it's is. just uh, terrible. Daniel apologized to the Gustafson family at the resentencing hearing saying, quote, I have not had the words to fully express my profound sorrow, but I am truly sorry for the harm that I've caused. From the very essence of who I am, the depths of my soul, I am sorry, end quote. I'm just going to move on from that. According to those in attendance, however, no, the apology felt shallow and insecure. Got it. Insincere, excuse me, not insincere. Not insincere. Insincere. I actually accidentally said insecure. Well, that probably was the case as well. Daniel was obviously just going through the motions of what he thought he needed to do. While making his apology, he was stony-faced and did not make eye contact. The um, Middlesex Superior Court judge, Helena, oh, I'm going to mess up the last name, Kazashian, was unmoved, saying, Mr. LaPlante has not been rehabilitated. 
she formally resentenced Daniel to his original sentence, three life sentences to be served consecutively. He would have the opportunity for parole after 45 years in, ni- in 2032. Um, there's a quote here that says, quote, this case does not involve a single act that resulted. Oh, this case does not involve a single act that resulted in three deaths. Mr. LaPlante committed three distinct and brutal murders. He killed a 33-year-old pregnant mother and her five- and seven-year-old children. Mm-hmm. He left a family and community devastated. The court finds that the maximum penalty is warranted, end quote. That was a quote from the judge. Good. And so... He's a, he's eligible for parole in nine years. Yes. Yes, he is. And it, that if he was... How old did I say he was? So he was born in 19... I Didn't I say 1970 was when he was born? No. It happened in the 70s. No. Right? no it 80s, happened in 80s. When he was 70. Yeah. yeah. He might have been born in 1970. I have it. It's the first... So he's... Uh, he was born May 16th, 1970. So in 1932, he will be... 53? No. 63. 63. That's still plenty yeah, of 63. age to be able to commit more murder. In my opinion. Yeah. So well, we'll, I don't, I we'll don't see at the Well, and that doesn't mean he gets out. True. Up, he's up for parole. Yes, yes. That's, and that's family's going to have to come Ugh. and they're going to yes. write letters. and. Well, now you were asking about Andrew. I was. Let me tell you about Andrew okay. Gustafson. He remarried in 1989 to a woman named Carol, um, who was also a widow. Oh. So they understand one another. When... Andrew and Carol married. They each wore two wedding rings, one to mark their fir- their first marriage and the other to remind them of their um, deceased spouses. That makes mm-hmm. me want to cry. I'm sorry, to mark their marriage and yes. then one to mark their deceased spouses. Yes. The couple had two daughters, Holly and Laura, together. They did. Mm-hmm. Andrew left his law practice and began working for the state as a child advocate. He stayed in this position for 12 years, and then he went to work for the Massachusetts Conference of the United Church of Christ. That's amazing. Yes. In 2017, he did an interview, and he said that, you know, LaPlante could take take them, but he couldn't stop um, his hope, life, faith, and building a new life. So basically, like, yes, you, you took that part of my life, but I'm not going to let it destroy me, you know? And he didn't. Mm -mm. And a lot of people do. No, nope. and I can understand it, right? If everything's taken from you, you could have gone down a dark path. Absolutely, absolutely. And so he was able to build, you know, a, a beautiful life for himself. I will say, in May two thousand and fourteen, tragically, Andrew Gustafson died of cancer. Oh, he was sixty years old. Okay. So yeah, that is that is the case of the Gustafson family murders. I still have goosebumps. Daniel I- Laplante. It's awful. The it's also known um, as like the boy in the wall. Yeah, walls case. I swear, I've 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 heard of it for like from the television or something. Probably, probably. And now I just feel like I really need to bathe. Please, us. please bathe me. Um, how how about do you want do you want me to bathe you? I do. Okay. I really do. So how about we do? These are some funny crime stories, but these are um, burglaries, home invasions gone bad. Oh, okay. So this is the Dutch. This is perfect for Daniel. I know. So this is the Dutch bungling burglar. 
Say that three times fast. I cannot say it once. A burglar was caught after he fell down a chimney while escaping over the roof of a house he had broken into. Police in Maastricht, Holland, arrested the 33-year-old after being called out by the house owners, owners who heard his calls for help. The man had tried to flee out of a roof window with his booty of cash and jewelry, but tumbled in the dark and got stuck inside a chimney. A burglar, and it says, goes on, a burglar who got stuck in a chimney while trying to break into a Los Angeles home has been jailed for two years. So the same thing. Bungling burglar Marco Antonio Espinoza was also ordered to pay the owners of the house more than 2,000, um, I'm sorry, 5,000 pounds, which would be almost 10,000 US dollars to repair the damage done when firefighters freed him. When he was caught, he told the police that he was doing building work on the house. A would-be robber had to drop his... Oh, and then here's another one. A would-be robber had to drop his bank looting plans after he forgot to take with him a bag into which the stolen money could be put. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Apparently, the young man in his 20s entered a local Chase Bank branch early on Monday morning and passed the cashier a piece of cardboard, which was written, Give Me Your Money, reported in the Detroit News. Oh, Lord. He told the bank teller to hurry up, but when she asked him if he had the bag to put the money into, he became flustered and confused and ran off without the cash. I can't believe he didn't say, Could I borrow a bag? I'll bring I know. it back. At least a Walmart bag, man. Right. This is another bungling burglar in Germany. A man in Mainz, Germany, apparently inebriated, was arrested after he attempted to hold up a bank armed with a water pistol and a potato peeler. <laughs> Police say the man, identified as 52-year-old Walter Schogel, had a stocking over his head and was waving the peeler, potato peeler as he demanded cash. He left with nothing after the bank teller told him that they had run out of money. When he was arrested five minutes later. Well, it's not scary to have somebody put a... What are you going to do? Peel off a layer of my pinky? Right. Yeah. When he was arrested... I'm not letting you get close enough to do that. (laughs) When he was arrested some five minutes later, he was still wearing the stocking on his head. Oh, he hadn't even had a chance to take his stockings off. And what? I don't even know what to say to this. The world stops for Michael Douglas and Catherine Zeta-Jones nearly. Myrna heard a rumor that Michael Douglas and Catherine Zeta-Jones, who are currently cruising the Adriatic on a luxury yacht, were walking around the streets of her hometown. She immediately grabbed her camera and hot-footed it out of her office. Her job was in a bureau de change. She forgot to lock the doors. Uh-oh. In a short time, Is that a she, bank? it must be. Yeah. In a short time, she was away from her work. The bureau was emptied of several thousands of pounds in a variety of currencies. Uh-uh. Footnote: In cricketing circles, they often say when Freddie Flintoff walks out to bat, he clears the bars. While wags are now saying, when Michael Douglas and Catherine Zeta-Jones walk out in town, they clear the shops. Oh no! So that's the time so, to go okay. rob the banks. Okay. And how about the last one? Because we got to go to England. Burglar and sloth. I like that. Sloth, Ooh. England. A suspected burglar put in handcuffs after his arrest, attacked a woman police officer, and then escaped by driving off in her car. The female officer was driving the man to sloth police station when he forcibly took control of the car. The man, one of three arrested on suspicion of burglary, dumped the car in Keel Drive about six minutes away. The suspect is described as Asian, in his mid-20s, 5'8", still wearing handcuffs. Oh, 
Yeah, you may you may recognize him by With the his handcuffs. handcuffs. Yep, uh, and then they're told to you know contact the police immediately. So right. not necessarily all funny. Twenty things your burglar won't tell you. Oh, I would love to. Of know. course, I look familiar. I was here just last week cleaning your carpets, painting your shutters, or delivering your new refrigerator. Oh my god, this that's is good notes. Creepy. How about this, guys? And this is just to save your all lives. Hey, thanks for letting me use the bathroom when I was working in your yard last week. While I was there, I unlatched the back window to make my return a little easier. Oh, you creeped out. Megan, stop I'm, what you're doing to me. Nope, this is good. You got to know this shit. Uh, so do your kids. Love those flowers. That tells me you have taste. And taste means there are nice things inside. Those yard toys your kids leave out always make me wonder what type of gaming systems they have. Uh, Four. Well, luckily, I don't buy my children toys. toys. Yes, I really do look for newspapers piled up in the driveway. And I might leave a pizza flyer on your front door to see how long it takes for you to remove it. If it snows while you're out of town, get a neighbor to create car and foot tracks into the house. Okay, that's a great yeah, idea. Yeah, virgin drifts in the driveway are a dead giveaway. Nobody's been there. If decorative glass is part of your front entrance, don't let your alarm company install the control pad where I can see if it's set. It makes it too easy. You can see right through the glass. A good security uh. company alarms the window over the sink and the windows on the second floor, which often access the main bath bedroom and your jewelry. It's not a bad idea to put a motion detector up there too. Mm-hmm. It's raining. You're fumbling with your umbrella and you forget to lock your door. Understandable. But understand this. I don't take the day off because of bad weather. Yeah. Okay. Nine. I love this one for burglars. I always knock first. If you answer, I'll ask for direction somewhere or offer to clean your gutters. Don't take me up on that, people. <laughs> don't take Ten. Me up on that. Do you really think I won't look in your sock drawer? I always check dresser drawers, the bedside table, and the medicine cabinet. Helpful hint. I almost never go into kids' rooms. Hmm. Right? Interesting. 12. You're right. I won't have enough time to break into that safe where you keep your valuables. Valuables. But if you didn't bolt it down, I'll take the safe with me. Oh. How? Will you? Yeah. So those little those small, small safes yeah. that people think. Yeah. I mean, if you don't bolt okay, those down, sense. they're coming. That makes sense. A loud TV or radio can be a better deterrent than the best alarm system. Mm-hmm. If you're reluctant to leave your TV on while you're out of town, you can buy a $35 device that works on a timer and simulates the flickering glow of a real television. Huh. Sometimes I carry a clipboard. Sometimes I dress like a lawn guy and carry a rake. I do my best never, ever to look like a crook. Sure. Here's the two things I hate the most. Sometimes I look like a Jehovah's Witness. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Loud dogs and nosy neighbors. Burglars yeah. hate them. Oh, perfect. The girls, I'm set. Yeah, no kidding. And your neighbors are safe too. Yes. <laughs> true i'll break a window to get in even if it makes a little noise if your neighbor hears one loud sound he'll stop what he's doing and wait to hear it again if he doesn't hear it again he'll just go back to what he's doing it's human nature Mm. i'm not complaining but why would you pay all that money for a fancy alarm system and leave your house without setting the alarm system people do that i love looking in your windows i'm looking for signs that you're home and for flat screen tvs or gaming systems i'd like i'll drive or walk through your neighborhood at night before you close the blinds just to pick my target avoid announcing your vacation on your social networking yeah. site. Mm-hmm. It's easier than you think to look up your address. I always post my vacations after, after I get mm-hmm. back. To you, leaving that window open just a crack during the day may let in fresh air. For me, it's an invitation. Mm-hmm. And one more for luck. If you don't answer when I knock, I try the door. Occasionally, I hit the jackpot and walk right in. 
This alternative, droll, useful, and witty look at burglars, by the way, was sent in by a Dave Foley, who has a master's in business education or business economics. So there, there's some, uh, some of that as well. And that's just funny. Terrifying. <laughs> For security reasons, please remove ski masks before entering the bank. <laughs> just giggling at a sign that was listed on that article. So there you go. Wow, thank you for uh, horrifying us and making us giggle. But a good, good, solid life yeah. advice there. It terrifies me that somebody was in the home or that somebody could be in my home. Mm-hmm. And I am not always situationally aware. Yeah, yeah, no, sometimes we're very much in our head. Yeah. And I never thought about, you know, having nice landscaping means that I have nice things on the inside of my house. Yeah. Joke's on you, man. Right. I'm poor. Exactly. <laughs> I just like my shit to look nice. Yeah. I was just getting ready to put some mulch down for next weekend, but yeah, I, uh, uh, maybe I won't now. Right. Exactly. People are like, your you know yard what? looks like shit. It's a deterrent. Uh-huh. Yes. This is strategery right yes. here. <laughs> I strategically have a shitty looking yard, so right. no one will care what's in my house. Yep. 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 Oh, well, thank you all so much, so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed this episode. And um, hey. Until next time. Keep it curious. And keep listening. Bye-bye.